Uh, The reading is taken from Matthew chapter 7. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, sorry, for everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Be their fruit, by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the King of Heaven, Kingdom of Heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in Heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Thank you, Sue. It was too long a passage for me to read out and then speak to you all the time. So thank you, uh, John, Diane, and a very youthful rest of the worship team, Jamie, David, and Michael. Right. Thank you very much. Isn't that great? Daniel. I said, did I say David? Daniel. Isn't that great that we've got such young talent coming through? Absolutely fantastic. Right, good morning, saints. Welcome to NBC. My name is also Ian, another Ian. Um, today we continue our series on... Have I just gone? Okay. Continue our, our series on Sermon on the Mount. The greatest sermon ever. I'll move that one away. Because it's by Jesus. I think you've probably heard that gag a few times now. Now, this week, 
is titled Save Us From Religion. That's one of my favourite themes, really. And there's no apologies for the fact that we will recap on some of the other sermons that we've had in this series, and we're probably going to do even more next week as Steve does the um, sand and building a house on sand and rock. Uh, it would seem odd if we didn't start overlapping, wouldn't it, I think, when you do a theme and it's based on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I've always loved this theme because Jesus is so anti-religion, isn't he? And it does challenge me because my personal bias is all about process and rules. So I think it's important to me. And the way of Jesus, of course, is not about a system of rules, a long list of rules, let alone the hypocrisy of judging others and through using those rules to put yourself in a pecking order above others, which we as Christians tend to do all the time. The way of Jesus is radical. It's actually offensive because it is so counter-cultural. Now, the Sermon on the Mount, as we've said probably before in this series, is often referred to as the manifesto of Jesus. It's about the kingdom of heaven and about relationships. So hopefully you've been listening to the other series and you've been picking this up already. And this section that Sue has just read really does come into our relationship with a number of these actors. It's about the kingdom of heaven and about relationships. Because Jesus, by fulfilling the covenant, enables us to have a relationship, a personal relationship with God, with Jesus. That is what is so radical, that is what no other religion or faith system even gets anywhere close to. But that very truth has a massive literally universal because it is universe wide eternal implications most of which were offensive to the religious authorities at the time and are still offensive to the majority today even if that religion is atheism now unless you're very new here in which case welcome to the family you will know that I'm not a professional sermon giver. But I've done enough and I've spent enough time wrestling with the issue of what makes a good sermon. What is it somebody said? Short. <laughs> now I've heard a lot of sermons though and I've seen sermons that have been intellectually and theologically brilliant, dazzling even. I've seen some that have been great showmanship that have been really entertaining up here. And I've heard some that have been really tender and personal and very moving and some fantastic testimonies as well. And then there's been some that I've forgotten a little bit too rapidly. There have been some that I've disagreed with a little bit maybe, probably being pernickety. And there have been some that I've sat there and thought, oh no, we're going to get trouble for this one. But the ones that have moved me the ones that have really brought me closer to God, I think, that have changed me, they're the ones that I think become like a three-way conversation. So, in other words, between me, sat there, and the person giving the sermon here, and God, they've 
They've somehow, um, God's used that person to talk to me. And that means that we're all involved here. So it means that I have to take a bit of a risk if I'm sat there, and I have to take a bit of a risk if I'm stood up here. Because it isn't just one, even one three-way conversation, is it? It's lots of connections. So, um, it sounds impossible, doesn't it? But of course, God can do it. God will do it. Um, now, my wife and my friends and many of you have prayed that he will be using me here now. So I've no doubt that God knows what you individually need to hear um, when you walked in this morning. And then he's got a gift for you. I do doubt whether I'm going to say the right thing. And let's be honest, some of you might not be in the right place. You might not be open. You might be thinking about what you can do for lunch later or who's off strictly or whatever it is. You've got to be here in spirit, in willingness and open and listening. Although one worship leader told me once people only come for the worship so I wouldn't worry too much about the sermon. <laughs> but there is nothing, I tell you, there is, there's not much better than when somebody does get in contact afterwards and says, oh, there's something that you said that did mean something to me, that did affect me. So, how do I challenge the knowledgeable but possibly complacent? How do I comfort the wounded? Or even teach those who don't know, because we're all coming at this, we're all in different places here. And when I have no qualifications whatsoever, well, thankfully God, through his Holy Spirit, is in the driving seat, and we need to embrace that. But I do need you to show up a bit. So, there's some more bits of paper lying around, hopefully, or I know many of you have these things called smartphones. So I want you to think very carefully about a time when you had a thought that was judgmental. Where you put somebody lower than you maybe on a pecking order. And I want you to write it down or type it into your phone. Or, secondly, there's two, there's two parts to this. Maybe think of a time when somebody's tried to coerce you or looked down on you or advised or guided or pushed or was judgmental on you. Or both. Most of us, I'm sure, have examples of both. I want you to then listen and pray about which of those you need to note down. Again, or both of them. Let it bubble up. Let God nudge you. Don't worry, we're not going to share it. You're not coming up and putting it on display for everyone. This is just between you and God. So hold on to it. This is your bit in this three-way conversation. Although this is actually only two-way. I'm, I'm going to leave it to you. So think. Did you look at someone and their actions and judge them without knowing them did you think for them do you think you know you knew better than them or did someone judge you have they condemned you without knowing where you've come from and where you are have you been made to feel awful by someone or felt accused so that's it just think consciously about it remember it own it tell God and you can leave that with 
Jesus. You can leave that at the foot of the cross. And you may possibly be able to drop it. You may, of course, need to do more if, if you've ended up hurting someone, if this is reminded that actually you've hurt someone, then you may need to do more. And if you need to pray about it with someone, then come up afterwards. Um, and if you, maybe you need to pray with somebody immediately, actually, you can, you can do that. Okay. Now let's spend a moment thinking about how the spirit of judgment is still with us in the world today. I think we're all at risk of this critical spirit, this Pharisaic attitude. I've spent hours worrying about how to say that. Because I think it is in the world today just as much. So back to scripture. We're now at the end of the Sermon on the Mount and our series, Matthew chapter 7. And I'm not going to cover the whole section in detail here because these sort of theme-based ones, as you've probably gathered on, on the most part. But the subsections are often covered under the title of Judging Others in Matthew 7, verses 1 to 6. I'll deal with that a bit more later again, and we've probably already touched on that. Ask, and it will be given to you in verses 7 to 12. And this can be misinterpreted, of course, can't it? Or ignored, especially in today's world. Please don't do either. This is reminding us of kingdom values, of a kingdom, kingdom economics. The maths of God is infinite, and we can't get our heads around that. We can't imagine it. So I like to think that I like to think of Matthew six verse thirty three here, which we've covered already in this series. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. If you put well the rest of the gospel in context as well with this verse and Matthew six thirty three, I think maybe for me it sort of explains what this is saying. If it's God's will which if you're seeking the kingdom first, it should be, right? Not always, but it should be. You could well be astounded with the answered prayer. But we're we're not perfect. We don't see the whole picture. So it's not going to be 100%. We've dealt with that in other sermons before. God, of course, can see the whole picture. He will use even bad things for good, But that does not mean that bad things come from him, remember. There's just that little warning there. And then the next one is the golden rule, as it is written in some people's Bibles. In verses 12 to 14. Do to others as you would wish them to do to you. That's really easy, isn't it? Really simple. Very straightforward. This Christianity lark is so straightforward, isn't it? Straightforward, but not easy. Now, many people point out that if they're knowledgeable, if they're learned, and they want to be clever, they point out that this is in lots of religions and faith systems and scriptures. The Talmud, the Jewish Talmud, the Apocrypha, Confucius, the Stoics. But it isn't, actually. That's not quite true. All those ancient teachings say it in the negative format. They say, 
don't do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you. So it's the negative way around. Don't go and hurt people if you don't want to be hurt. Don't be nasty. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, do to others what you want them to do to you. That's very different. Then there's a false prophet's and a tree and its fruit in verses 15 to 20. So let's not take the judgment thing as meaning we do not use judgment. It means don't be judgmental. We've still got to use our judgment. We've still got to use our critical faculties. We are to be worldly wise. We've got to look at the fruit that the false prophets might be producing or not. And then I never knew you in verses 21 to 23, another stark warning, I think, about religion contrasted to true motives, to living for the kingdom. This sums it up again. All these verses seem to sum up all of this t- teaching as a, as a lifestyle, as a kingdom lifestyle. It's about motives and relationships love not some tick box where we're just going to play some game and get more and more points very clear Jesus is very clear here now pretty much all this can be described as Jesus once again that rallying against religion or maybe you could say religiosity if you don't like me talking about religion there are lots of lots in this isn't there and the whole sermon on the mount to boost the liberals the progressives amongst us And more uncomfortable for some of the more legalistic types, aren't there? But it isn't all one way. There's also some hard scripture in here too. Trees that don't bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. That's a bit scary. So Jesus manages to offend everyone on both sides. He's always having run-ins with the religious authority as Jesus. And we know how that ended. So let's get this in straight away. Religion cannot save you. Are we all happy with that? Others might be a bit confused, but I saw most of you nod in agreement there. Christianity, of course, is a religion. But our true faith is not a list of laws, laws and rules. It used to be called the way, which is a hint, isn't it? It's not a ladder to climb or a test to pass. We cannot do it through effort There's no secret learning that is passed on. As I said earlier, Jesus, by fulfilling the covenant, enables us to have a relationship with God. So the law, which would otherwise condemn us, is fulfilled. That law would have condemned you otherwise. You know this, John 3, verses 1, 7, Romans 4, 9 to 15, and in fact most of Romans really, isn't it? it? Again and again you can go through this. But this relationship with God gives us access to the kingdom. And that has other consequences. We should then show grace and love and right relationship with others. So let's think about the implications of that. And we can do that through the contrasts to make this easier. Religion, as we all know, unfortunately, can lead to war. But Jesus said what? 
love your enemy. Religion sort of says, you must try harder. Jesus actually said, my yoke is easy. Religion is all about climbing up to God, whereas Jesus came down to us. And in fact, he still reaches out to us to now. Religion is all about people being bad. They're the enemy. Whereas Jesus is very clear, sin is the enemy. Religion basically leads to an us versus them mentality. Whereas grace is scandalous and uncontrollable. Religion is all about conditions and controls. Religion is fear and punishment and Jesus is love, mercy and truth and justice. But it is higher. I could go on and on, but I need to move on I think. So this is all about relationships as well, with God and with others. And this chapter is all about relationships with others. There is that part about people who have rejected God and continue to do so. It tells you, don't get too invested there. Okay, It doesn't mean give up on them, but be a bit careful. It's all about choices. This free will lark is quite hard, isn't it? And we are always tempted to reach for that Old Testament set of rules, aren't we? And then we judge other people by it. And that's where the hypocrisy comes in, doesn't it? We're addicted to religion, I think, in many cases. It makes us feel better than them. Than them. So although we all hate the hypocrisy, which comes from the two faces, I think, in that Greek... Um, acting thing where you have actors we all do it it's ugly though isn't it Gandhi once said I like your Christ I do not like your Christians your Christians are so unlike your Christ how many people have thought about have thought that about us are we living like the hypocrites the Pharisees I think this is a big risk for us as churchgoers The world today is just as hypocritical as 2,000 years ago. We are just as judgmental and critical. I think the internet even is accelerating this personally. It's obviously a force for good in many ways. More data, more information shared more quickly and cheaply and evenly. But I think it's changed us. We're now, now everyone thinks they're an expert. And we're now even more deeply divided. We're all convinced that we know right and the others are wrong on everything. Now actually, professionally, it's my job to measure how accurate people are in their views. And I can tell you, they're a lot less accurate than they think they are. But that's missing the point. Jesus is telling us we are not to be the judges. That is God's job. As I said before, it doesn't mean don't use your critical faculties. Quite the contrary. We aren't being told not to help our brother and sister in Christ with plain truths. But verses 3 to 5 are very clear. Don't judge, or you'll be judged with the same measure. So we've talked about this already. Repent for your mistakes first. Remove the plank in your own eye. But I note that, and I'll bow to better scholars of the Greek than I am, But I think the Greek verb for judge is also 
similar to the word, our word for decide. So, do not judge in this context can mean decide for. So as well as judge as in adjudicate, it's judge as in to decide for, to rule over, manipulate, to think that you know best. It's about control and putting yourself above someone. And that's definitely not our place, is it? And this can go further. If you told someone to be happy, told them they have nothing to be worried about, that they're being silly, judging them, deciding that you know best, are you ruling over them or seeking to ever so subtly? Jesus tells the truth in love, usually in a relationship and with grace, always with the Pharisees, with the woman at the well and many other examples. He didn't tell everyone about the tax collector or the woman at the well. He spoke to them. Do we criticise others from where we are rather than help them, possibly with truth, with grace, from where they are? Now, I've had a a new life-changing experience over the last six weeks or so. Um, I've been doing my share of the caring for my mother who um, broke her ankle and it's been great I've loved it and I've learned so much it's really been very um, helpful to me I've learned that caring is actually really hard um, very rewarding in the direct task but I've got lots to fit in it takes up so much time but yes it is God's work Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And I think it's Bill Johnson that says, when you wash someone's feet, you find out why they walk the way they do. Think about the why. Think about where they are and why they are there. The reason for their situation. The damage they've suffered the injuries possibly unseen from the enemy because we are all sinners notice I only said good morning saints at the beginning not good morning saints and sinners like I normally do but don't put their their sins on a different scale to yours the Sermon on the Mount is about relationship this part especially In my work world, we talk about skin in the game. Do they have skin in the game? When you have skin in the game, which usually means in my world money, it means you're committed. You haven't got loads of different options. You are committed. And it's easy for me to be a carer for my mother because we're kin. She's my mum. I love her. So it's easy. Jesus is requiring kingdom logic here. Love your brothers and sisters. Even love your enemies. This is skin in the game. Not just, oh, yeah, tick a few of those rules off when I can, that'll be okay. This is full on. This is skin in the game. This is commitment to love. 
This is relationship. This is not religion. This is love. This is the way of Jesus. So that, that's it really. I'm, I'm done. So I just want to pray for us. Um, let me pray please. Because we can only do this by being more like Jesus. This is actually an impossible task. Lord, yeah, this is an impossible task. We, we have to spend more time with Jesus, looking at Jesus, praying to Jesus. Then we'll be more like him. Lord, help us live in relationship with those around us. Give us the skin in the game. Help us to treat them as we want them to treat us. I pray, Lord, pour down your Holy Spirit into us, giving us your love to give to others. Lord, help us to get closer to you, our Heavenly Father. Help us to do that, Lord Jesus. Let us see the world and its people as you see them. Amen.